If I were to ask you what feast Christians celebrate on January 6th, what would you say? It probably depends on which Christian tradition you were brought up in. If you are a Western Christian, you'd probably say Epiphany. But if you're an Eastern Christian, you would probably respond Theophany instead. Now, they are the same feast, and yet, at the same time, they aren't. There are some major theological differences in the emphasis between East and West, but I'm much more interested in the difference between the words. What exactly does Epiphany mean? And what exactly does Theophany mean? And what does the difference in these definitions tell us? The bottom line, our fourth type scene is Theophanies, which is a revelation of God. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. I started the intro by asking about the difference between Epiphany and Theophany. As I said, I'm not interested in the difference between the actual feasts, just the words. Because today's biblical type scene is Theophanies, though some have called it Epiphanies. But I think the second one is wrong. Here's why. Epiphany is a Greek word that simply means manifestation. That is, something is revealed to you. It could be anything. It could be the manifestation of someone or something divine, or someone or something mundane. Theophany, on the other hand, is much more specific. Theophany is the manifestation of God or the divine. It's also a Greek word. The theo at the beginning is the Greek word for God, from theos. So this can't be a manifestation of just anything. It has to be the manifestation of God or the divine. Our fourth type scene is about the manifestation of God to biblical characters. So, for this very reason, I think we need to properly say it's a theophany. So let's look at one, then we can speak more about it and analyze it a little bit. You're probably familiar with this one. It's Moses and the burning bush. Though for length, I am editing it. So, here it is. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that is I who sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me, and they will ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, This you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. All of that is from Exodus chapters 3 and 4, if you want to go and read the whole thing. In fact, in this theophany, the conversation between Moses and God goes on for a bit. Moses not only complains about not knowing the name of God, but then he says, what if they don't believe me? Then God turns Moses' staff into a snake. Then God also turns Moses' hand white and leprous. Finally, Moses tries to get out of this task by saying that he isn't very eloquent. And so God tells Moses to find Aaron, his brother, so that he can speak for him. Only then does his theophany end, and Moses sets off for Egypt to do his task. Now that you have Moses and the burning bush in mind as an example, what are the key parts of this type scene? What should we be looking for? Here's a quick list, which consists of five elements. Number one, the background of the manifestation. In other words, there's something happening that necessitates God's appearing to whomever he appears. In this case, the Hebrews are enslaved in Egypt. They are suffering. Fun fact, the word used for Egypt in Hebrew really isn't the word for Egypt. That is to say, it wasn't what the Egyptians called themselves. Instead, the Hebrew word that is used to describe Egypt actually means from suffering. So the Hebrew suffering in Egypt is the background or context for this particular theophany. The second aspect, the manifestation of the divine and the way the human recipient reacts to it. In our example, this one is pretty straightforward. God appears to Moses in the burning bush, though there are some interesting details, some strange things happening. At first, the text says that an angel of the Lord, or Yahweh, appears to Moses. But then, when the conversation begins, Yahweh himself is speaking to Moses. The text also says that God called to Moses from out of the burning bush. 
So what was originally an angel of the Lord is equated with Yahweh himself. And this is important because this is a theophany, and it has to be a divine appearance. If it's not, then you simply have an epiphany rather than a theophany. I've seen some scholars distinguish between theophanies and epiphanies in the biblical text, and they do so by the way the divine is manifested. In other words, dreams or the experience of divine power don't count. They are simply epiphanies. Here, though, we're concerned with theophanies. Moses has seen God face to face. And we should also pay attention to how Moses responds. This is key to knowing that this is a theophany rather than epiphany. When Moses first hears God, he responds by saying, Here I am. He then removes his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. And finally, he covers his face with his mantle. These are the keys that tell us we're dealing with something divine. The human person has to hide themselves. The third aspect, the dialogue and content of the theophany that happens is the aim of the divine manifestation. In other words, the point isn't just for Moses to see God. God wants Moses to do something, and Moses needs to respond. All of this is communicated through the conversation, now recorded in the text, of course. This particular dialogue also includes Moses' objections, which are countered by God. Number four, there's an element of intrigue and mystery in the divine manifestation. Here the intrigue seems to be who God is. Yahweh introduces himself as the God of Moses' ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Yet, this doesn't seem to be enough. Moses pushes back and says, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? It's unclear if the name is given because the Israelites would have known the name, or if this is a new revelation, even for the Israelites. Yet, who this God is that is revealing himself in the burning bush is something of a mystery in this passage. And number five, finally, the theophany concludes. In our example, Moses returns to Egypt to free God's people from Pharaoh. So, those are the five aspects of theophanies, a context that necessitates the theophany, the manifestation itself, a dialogue between the divine and the witness, a bit of mystery, and finally, the conclusion. Moses in the burning bush isn't the only story where this type scene appears. If it was, it really wouldn't be a type scene, now would it? Others include Numbers 22-24. through 24. This is the story of Balaam's talking donkey. Exodus 19-34 through 34 has three different theophanies, and they all revolve around the establishment of the covenant between God and the Israelites on Mount Sinai. And, of course, there's 1 Kings 19, a theophany to Elijah, or Elias, the prophet. But before we go, I want to look at one from the New Testament, to show that the New Testament authors were familiar with this type scene and purposely used it. The one I want to look at is Saul 
on the road to Damascus. I'm going to use the story as it's told by Luke in the Acts of the Apostles. Here it is. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. That's chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. This theophany isn't near as long as the burning bush, but let's see if it has all five parts. Number one, the background. Here we're looking for a context that necessitates the theophany. In this case, the gospel is spreading among the believers, and Saul is going around persecuting them. So, the purpose of this manifestation is to alleviate the suffering of the Christians, and it's done by converting Saul into Paul. Number two, the manifestation itself. The way Jesus shows himself here is as a flash of lightning. How does Paul respond? He falls to the ground, proof that this manifestation is powerful or divine and not just a dream. Number three, the dialogue. Yes, Jesus and Saul speak to one another. Unlike a dream or a vision, Saul doesn't just see God's plan, nor is he presented simply with a task to do. Instead, Saul is able to respond to Jesus and ask him who he is, very similar to Moses asking for God's name. Here, instead of the name of Yahweh being revealed, it's Yeshua, or in English, Jesus, which means Yahweh is salvation, or the salvation of Yahweh. Number four, mystery. The intrigue here is also similar to the burning bush. Saul doesn't know who is speaking to him, and he has to ask, We also have Jesus posing a question to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Note, Jesus doesn't ask why Saul is persecuting his people, but me. Jesus here associates directly with the people that make up the early assembly, called here the way. I wonder where I've heard that name before. And finally, the conclusion, number five. Saul comes away from this experience blinded. He has to travel to Damascus where he is catechized and ends up becoming a Christian. He becomes Paul, the great evangelist. We know him today. So these theophanies are all over the place in Scripture. They are a manifestation of God or the divine and are much more than just an epiphany or a dream or even a vision. Next week, God willing, we'll take a look at our next type scene. Until then, keep walking the way. God bless.